NBA on NBC. The 1998 What's up, everybody? Finals. This is Jim Mylock, and you're listening to Pot of Fame, a podcast where we decide whether or not retired athletes should get into the respective Hall of Fames. Uh, today, we're talking basketball. We're talking former Phoenix Sun forward Sean Marion and whether or not he should get a call to the Hall. And on today's podcast, we're actually being joined um, in just a second by fan-sided NBA junior editor and Phoenix Sun reporter Gerald Borgay to get his perspective on Marion's Hall of Fame resume, um, as well as just his career. So before we bring Gerald on, just a few um, kind of high-level stats of Marion's career. He played in the NBA for 16 years, um, put up career lines of 15 points per game, nine boards, and two assists. and had a line or splits of 48, 33, 81 from the field. So again, that's 48% field goal percentage, 33% three-point percentage, and 81% from the free throw line. He was a four-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA third-team member, and won one championship near the end of his career um, as a part of the Dallas Mavericks. He was a star in that team, though, in 2011. And he just retired back in 2014. Um, so he's only been retired for about six years now. Um, so, so he's been up, he was, a one of the 50 nominees for this year's class in 2020. Um, but obviously was not elected since we were talking about him today. So that's the quick rundown on Sean Marion's career with, without further ado, let's, let's get into this. Let's bring, um, let's bring Gerald on and, um, quickly talk a little bit about the Phoenix Suns and their success in the bubble before jumping into what comes to mind. So let's bring Gerald on. All right. So uh, I am joined today um, by fan-sided NBA junior editor and Phoenix Suns reporter, Gerald Borgay. Gerald, how are you doing today? Doing good, Jim. How about yourself? I am doing well. Now, um, again, today we are talking about Sean Marion, his career, his Hall of Fame candidacy. But before we do, while I have Gerald here, I got to ask Gerald, um, Bubble Suns, 8-0, only undefeated team of the regular season in the bubble. Did you expect that going into it? Not at all. I um, I would have been happy if they had gone four and four. And I thought heading in, just based on the things we were hearing about the team, the way that they were approaching it, the mindset that Monty had kind of instilled in all of them, that you know they they felt like they were um, they were kind of humbled to get the invite. So they came into it with a lot of humility. They they're a young team, so they wanted to maximize every moment that they had in the bubble together to kind of build that chemistry because. Otherwise, they would have been sitting there from March until the start of next season with nothing to do, um, which is a killer for a young team that needs as much time together as possible. So given the way that they were approaching it, I I thought they might take a couple of teams by surprise just because they were one of the more motivated kind of non-playoff teams invited. But uh, no, 8-0 was not something I realistically saw coming ever. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, you got to be excited about what you saw there. And I, I, I hope the momentum, you know, can carry them into next season. But, you know, I look at the West and it's so tough, even at the bottom there. I mean, the the Mavs are a seven seed and they're taking, I mean, game threes tonight. And it's a 1-1 series with the Clippers. But are you pretty optimistic that next year uh, the Suns will be at least in the hunt for the playoffs, if not in trying to get in that six, seven, eight seed range? 
Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I don't know if they'll actually make it, but I know that it's pretty much go time for this franchise. And, uh, you know, you don't want to buy into an eight game sample size too much, but it did feel like a legitimate breakthrough for this team as far as all of the little pieces that we had seen developing over the course of the season, just all kind of coalescing into one uh, coherent competitive team. Um, and they had already won more games before the season was suspended than they had at any point in Devin Booker's career. So then the fact that they were able to build on it, you know, put together the longest win streak of his career and um, kind of have that positive momentum going into the off season with most of the core intact, that's, it's a pretty good sign. So I think they'll be, they'll definitely be in the hunt and they, they kind of need to be to make sure that uh, Booker knows that his years of toiling away in the desert are actually leading to something good here. And then um, one last question, just what, what was it like covering a team that's in a bubble with a bunch of other teams in Orlando? Um, <laughs> that had to be, that had to be different. Yeah, it was an unorthodox experience for sure, especially because like, I, I've said this before, a lot of people always ask me, they're surprised when I tell them that I'm not a Suns fan because I, I cover the team, but I don't root for them. But at the same time, any journalist covering a team wants them to be good because it's not only better to watch good basketball, but the interviews are just completely different in a winning locker room compared to a team that's been miserable for five straight years. So <laughs> it's it was nice to see them winning. And, and even though we were conducting these interviews over Zoom, which was pretty weird, I mean, this whole year has just been bizarre. Um, so it's kind of an unprecedented situation, but it was still cool to be able to um, you know, ask these guys questions, even if it was over Zoom, you know, raising your hand in the Zoom meetings to get your questions in. It, it was weird, but it was very cool at the same time. <laughs> no, I bet. And, you know, I've, <clears throat> I've been watching Hard Knocks on HBO and they have these, uh, you know, they're showing how the reporters are talking to them. It's like 30 boxes and they're just staring at a screen. That looks intimidating to the player, honestly. I don't, I don't even know if that's better or worse than what, you know, it traditionally has been, but uh, I'm sure that's been interesting. I'm, I, you know, who knows what next season's going to bring, if it's going to be more of the same or what, but again, I don't, I don't, I don't know if a, a bubble for an entire season is going to be plausible. I know they're spitballing a lot of ideas of what might, what next season might look like, but uh, I'm hoping it can go, you know, somewhat back to normal, but who knows at this point. Yeah, it's, it's very, I mean, we have no idea what's going to happen because this bubble thing is incredible for, you know, a couple games and then for the postseason with, without, you know, having the full league in the same spot. But I don't know how they would do that with 30 teams and, you know, they'd have to have a truncated regular season or they'd have to, I don't know how they would do it. They couldn't do a bubble for as long as it would take to play out a full season. So it's going to be interesting to find out what they do next from here and what, how the coronavirus, you know, hopefully the cases start coming down in the United States, but we'll see. For now, we've, for now, Suns fans have eight and oh, and that's, uh, that's what they're going to hold on to until they're back on the court again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there could be, I mean, honestly, I think an eight and oh, kind of ending it there instead of possibly being swept in the first round by the Lakers if they were to make the play, playoffs. Who knows? That could honestly be better for the momentum going into next year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But um, with, with, with that in mind, let's, let's kind of go back in time a little bit here. Um, back to the Suns, were, when they were making the playoffs quite a bit, were making runs toward uh, 
the championships, and that's the, the kind of era of when Sean Marion was on the team. Uh, so I kind of want to take us to our first segment we do here, which is what comes to mind. So, Gerald, for what comes to mind, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's, you know, if I throw the name Sean Marion out there to you, uh, if you hear that in passing, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh, perpetually underrated. I, I feel like people in Phoenix get his value to those Suns teams, but what's been lost over the passage of time, what's been lost when you look back on the seven seconds or less Suns is that he was the impetus for a defense that was often criticized for being the reason that Nash's Suns never broke through and won a title, but those teams were actually fairly average on the defensive end or just slightly below average. They weren't bad defensive teams. And Marion was the one typically propping that defense up. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get into the numbers and stuff in a bit, I'm sure. But when you look at his career numbers and, and some of the individual seasons he had during his prime in Phoenix, they were fairly close to unprecedented as far as his all around impact on the stat sheet and the reason he never got more credit for that was a the Phoenix Suns had a bad rep when it came to the defensive end and b he was never you know a high he was never like a 20 points per game scorer so he never got that same attention he never won an all defensive team selection which is baffling to me um but he he's just one of the most underrated players in NBA history and until you do a deep dive into just what he was able to accomplish over his 16 years in the league, it doesn't really stand out to you until you, you take that kind of deep dive. Yeah, no. And, and I was shocked because I remember him, you know, as a all-star defensive player that could cover almost, you know, one through five. And I talk about, I want to talk about a little later about he was almost ahead of his time in terms of positionless basketball. I mean, he was only six foot seven, I was actually shocked when I went back and saw that. For some reason, I thought he was like 6'10", based on just his rebounding numbers and the, his yeah. ability to guard the four. But his lack of all defensive teams, even one, was was quite shocking. But then I looked back, and you know, you know, he's at the forward spot. So this was the time in the 2000s where you know Duncan and Garnett are on the the team every year. Bruce Bowen's there. Like, there's only you know four spots for forwards on there, and. Duncan and Garnett are pretty much on the first or second team every single year. Bruce Bowen's on there a bit. And mm -hmm. I guess it was just hard to get slotted in there. But when you look at his resume and you're thinking of, okay, you talk about this guy who's a great defender, one of the best in the league, really held you know, the Suns defense, even in the middle of the pack when they, again, I always thought weren't playing defense at all. When you don't see those, you know, all NBA defensive teams on his NBA reference or anything like that, it does – for the people that don't remember him playing or remember watching him play D, it kind of hurts him there. Um, but when you say his versatility on defense, and, and I want to get to that more when we do case for, case against, the steals and blocks numbers he put up, not many people accomplish those career numbers um, if you really look at it. And, and Jer, before we move on, you know, what comes to mind for me, it's his versatility and his being underrated that definitely comes to mind. But I can't get it, and I have to talk about it somewhere on the pod, and this is where it fits. It, it's his ugly-ass shot um, <laughs> that, 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 like, is ingrained into my brain, and I'm sure every coach in America um, cringes when, when they really see it. Like, 
you know, he's shooting from his chin. He's flicking his wrist. Like it looks like <laughs> I was watching it the other day. It looks like kind of a T-Rex sort of motion, like short arms. Oh, yeah. And he's like, um, like as a kid at the arcade, you know, you play the Papa shot and you're trying to shoot as many times as possible. <laughs> you're almost just like flicking your wrist. Like that's what he was doing. <laughs> and, and I feel like we're never going to see anything like that again, because the second a player starts doing that at like the AAU level, junior high, like the coach is putting a stop to that. <laughs> and, and I honestly don't know how he got through his whole career doing it. Maybe because, you know, he, he wasn't a bad shooter by any means. I mean, he, for his career, he's a 33% three point shooter, which, you know, by today's standards is not great. But in the two thousands, that was definitely respectable for a forward. He had the corner three down. He had a couple seasons where he, shot around 40% from three. So he wasn't bad. He was 81% from the line. So it went in, but I just, you know, it, I feel like it should have got blocked every time. And if I had to have a rush more of like the worst shooting motions in NBA history, worst shots in M like he's on that. Like oh, yeah. he's on there, I think with like Michael Kidd, Kilchrist, Joakim <laughs> Noah, like that's one of the worst shots I've ever seen. Besides. And then I probably rounded out with like Bill Cartwright. I mean, do you think that's one of the worst shooting motions in history, or am I just – is that just how I'm remembering it? No, no. Right after the underrated thing I was talking about, <laughs> the other thing that you remember Sean Marion for is definitely his unorthodox, and that's a kind way of putting it, shooting motion. <laughs> it, you're, you're dead on the money with the Papa shot thing. It's like when you're, you're trying to re – you're trying to keep your regular shooting form, but if you keep your regular shooting form, you're going to throw it 30 feet past the basket, so you just like short arm it the entire time that was his jump shot um and, and I think that's the funny thing about Marion and he's just kind of filled with these weird dichotomies because when you say like he was a player very much ahead of his time it's absolutely true but when it the jump shooting thing is like that would have never fit in the game now so he's like a such a weird player because with his defense and his versatility and his athleticism he's the exact kind of you know, two-way forward that you would want in today's game. But because his jump shot looks like a T-Rex, that, that's like the one thing that would be changed if he were to play in today's NBA. So again, Marion is just kind of filled with these bizarre kind of opposing ideas um, that make him a very unique Hall of Fame case. Uh, mo mo most definitely. And honestly, it's it's like – I also was shocked that 81% from the line, I, I, I don't remember him as a free throw shooter, but that's, that's a great, I mean, if, if they could get Andre Drummond to shoot even half that good, like from the line doing that, I think he would based on what he does. But 81% of the line is solid. So whatever it was, it worked. I don't know how it didn't get blocked more. I'm sure it got blocked quite a bit, but um, you know, anytime I remember him shooting it, he, he was in the corner, so he was kind of by himself. And then, again, I always remember him more as a slasher, a guy just posterizing people um, in the paint. And, again, however you shoot doesn't matter when you're that athletic. You can get to the rim like that. So, so that is what comes to mind. Um, moving on to the next segment, um, Gerald, this is, this is that memorable moment. So this is, again, where we talk about can you name, you know, is there a specific game that was just like, hey, that's a Hall of Fame performance of specific playoff series or even a season that really stands out in Sean Marion's career? And 
I kind of have one ready to go, but before I do, would you like to take this first or you want me to kind of run with it and then pass it over to you? Yeah. I mean, I, I can just, I don't have like a specific moment because I mean, Sean Marion's time was obviously before I was on the beat. Um, sure. But his 2005, 2006 season as a whole was just incredible. And it was something that I took note of even as a young basketball fan who wasn't even in college at that point. Um, like he put up one of the best individual seasons in Suns history. And it's funny because, you know, that was the year that Nash won another MVP award um, and rightfully so, but Marion, what he did that year shouldn't be overlooked. You know, he led the team in scoring 21.8 points per game in rebounds, nearly 12 per game steals two per game and blocks 1.7 per game. And he was the only player in the league that was ranked in the top 20 for points, rebounds, assists, blocks, field goal percentage, and minutes. So Nash was the best player on the Suns, but Marion was kind of their engine in a lot of ways and, and covered up a lot of holes for that team because if I remember correctly, that was the season that Amari Stoudemire was out as well. Correct. So he picked up a ton of slack for that team and was the reason they were as good as they were. Um, so I, and that's kind of the funny thing about Marion is like, I can't think of a particular playoff performance. If you look at his like playoff numbers as a whole, they're slightly down compared to his regular season numbers, not, you know, in a way that suggests he wasn't good in the playoffs or anything like that, but they are slightly down. Um, there, there weren't many moments where I, where he performed. It was just like, man, this guy, that's a hall of fame moment. That's a hall of fame performance. And that's kind of at the crux of his hall of fame candidacy is it's the subtleties of his game, of his career, of what he did night in and night out that made him special. So that's, that might be why I veer more towards giving love to just that one particular season, because again, it did go overlooked by a lot of people and it's, it was a testament to both his greatness on both ends of the court and how often he was pretty overlooked on those Suns teams. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. My moment is from that 2005-2006 season. And I do agree with his playoff numbers. I usually look right away, you know, do does a player elevate his game in the playoffs? Are his numbers kind of the same or are they actually down? And when the numbers are down quite a bit from what they do in the regular season, that's where I have a big red flag. And in the 2005-2006 season, Marion's playoff performances um, were quite special. And I specifically... And I remember watching this as uh, I was probably in high school around this time. His round two against the Clippers. And again, you were correct. Amari Stoudemire, he played five games that year. He was out for the whole year, out for all the playoffs. So it was really Nash and Marion ran the show that year. So second round against the Clippers in 2006. And this was the year they ended up making it to the Western Conference Finals. He averaged 26 and 13 for the series two steals, 1.4 blocks. And let me throw some, some game lines at you because honestly, these are, these are like Shaq level games, like prime Shaq on, uh, on the Lakers games. He, in game three, he had a 32 and 19 game. In game five, he had a 36 and 20 game. And then in the closing game to, to, to send them to the Western Conference Finals, he had a 39 so, and, and this was against the Clippers team back in the day, if you remember, like Elton Brand, Sam Cassell. So it was a pretty solid team. Him and Elton Brand were going back and forth, but 
there's not too many players in playoff history, honestly, that have put up 36 and 20s in a, in a game. No, um, especially not. especially at his size, you know. Yeah, <laughs> at six foot seven, not not normally done at all. No, so so I mean, I was super. Again, I remember that series. I don't remember the, like 36 20 games, um, but looking back again, when when you're elevating your game, especially with Amari Hurt, and making sure you're that primary scoring option. I mean, 20 boards is is nothing to joke about, especially in the playoffs. I mean, I I try to look back at other players around his size that could put up numbers like that. Because, I mean, Shaq put up numbers like that, of course, back when rebounds, 20 boards wasn't a big deal. Like Chamberlain's, of course, getting those cream. But it's really like Barkley. Like Barkley was putting up games like that as Mm -hmm. an undersized player. But other than that, really stands out for me for Marion. And uh, extremely impressive. You know, they made it to the next round, of course. Uh, they, they lost to Dallas, who then went to the finals. Um, and he didn't play as well in that Western Conference finals, but he did. He was rebounding like um, no other that year. He had a 19-board game in that series and an 18-board game in that series as well. Uh, so he was really crashing the boards with Amari out. But one of the best, you know, undersized rebounders of the game. And again, if he was playing in today's game, he could honestly be like a small ball five at this point. And, and oh, he'd yeah. be rebounding like that. And um, he, he would thrive in today's game. That's all I could think about when I was thinking about him and, and kind of looking back at his game. Like he was excelling when everyone was still, you know, down low seven feet, 250. Um, in today's game, he, he'd be grabbing 20 boards probably a game. I mean, <laughs> honestly, it's, it's pretty wild what he was doing back then. Yeah. And, and it's, again, it <laughs> just – how often this guy is overlooked is crazy to me because the fact that he was six foot seven and averaging around nine to 11 boards per game for multiple seasons in Phoenix back when, you know, lineups were much more traditional than they are now. You're right on the money. Like if he played today as a small ball five, he'd probably be pulling down 15 to 16 boards a game um, just because that he was a terrific rebounder in that way. Um, and that's something that just gets lost in the shuffle when you talk about uh, the matrix. You know, you you get caught up in the athleticism and the defense, but the rebounding sometimes slides under the radar too. No, no, it, it really does. And and to be 100% honest, I like I went back and looked at the stats. I didn't know he had over 10,000 career rebounds. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I honestly wouldn't have thought that of him. If you look at that list, who has over 10,000 rebounds, it's mostly centers and it's some of the better rebounders, you know, in NBA history. And he's right up there. And I just, you know, I did not think of him as that good of a rebounder, but obviously from some of these performances, such as, you know, this round two against the Clippers and then just his career stats, he really did rebound at a high rate. And then you throw in his height and in the age he played, it is quite impressive what he was doing. Um, Not many people were doing that other than him and um, a few others. So um, before we get into the main, the kind of the me, the presentation, the, uh, the case for case against one last small segment we have here is called and twins. I love quarterbacks eating dirt, pom-poms and short skirts, fans who won't quit, and those twins, and I love them And for and twins, we really just, I try to take a look at, you know, who in the Hall of Fame today, what NBA great 
would you kind of compare to Marion? And honestly, as we've been talking about, he's kind of a special player and one of the first of his time. But Gerald, is there anyone in the Hall of Fame today that kind of reminds you of Sean Marion or had a similar style of play? You know, it's it's a hard question because I, you know, when you sent me the the list of questions we'd be going over today and I'd started doing my research, I was like, all of the players that are coming up, when I take a look at, you know, similar <laughs> career statistics or similar achievements, they're all big men. Like they're all like centers yep. from the 90s and early 2000s. <laughs> they're not, you know, guys that fit that prototype today. Um yeah, I, I think one that, and I wrote about it years ago. I wrote an article making a case for Sean Marion as the Hall of Famer when he first announced his retirement with the Cavs. Um, and and I, I kind of listed a couple of names, and I, I don't know how much I like them now, <laughs> like five or six years later, but one that came up, and you look at their career stats, and they're kind of uncannily similar minus the three-point shooting. Um, but Ralph Sampson was one that came up mm. as far as just they put up pretty similar numbers. Sa- Sampson's Hall of Fame case was built more on what he accomplished in college because, yep. you know, uh, the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame takes into account college. It takes into account international play. Um, it's not just an NBA Hall of Fame, unlike some other sports. Um, so that was a big thing for Sampson just because he was – a college player unlike anything we had really seen at that point. Um, but their career numbers were fairly similar. They both made, I think, four all-star games. Um, I think Samson had an all-star game MVP under his belt. Um, but just in terms of their career numbers, those two guys were pretty similar, which is crazy to me because you've got a six foot seven forward playing for the seven seconds or less son. And just this archaic big man who played next to Hakeem Olajuwon with the Rockets back in the 90s and 80s. Like <laughs> He's 7'4", right? Yeah. yeah. It could, <laughs> we got the undersized forward and then the oversized center here. And no, but I, I understand the comparison. Yeah, and it, it's, it's one of those ones where I was just kind of looking for similar numbers just to get a base level of what I was dealing with here. And he was one that kept coming up. And I was like, why am I getting all these like seven foot dudes from the 90s? <laughs> but that's, that's kind of the funny thing about Marion is that he just, he put up those kind of numbers. Yep. Um, and, and I think this is something that also stood out to me when I was writing that article is that there, he's one of only four players in NBA history with 17,000 points, 10,000 rebounds, 1,500 steals, and 1,000 blocks. Yep. Uh, other three big men from the 90s or early 2000s you got Carl Malone Kevin Garnett and Hakeem Olajuwon yeah like those are <laughs> that's kind of insane um so again it, it's kind of weird I, I think um another one that comes to mind and I don't he's not in the hall of fame yet I don't think but um Dennis Rodman he is um he is in the hall of fame yes Okay, yeah, I think that's why I got uh, mixed up on that one because they have very similar Hall of Fame odds, according mm-hmm. to basketball reference. Um, but Dennis Rodman was a guy that was a terrific rebounder, terrific defender. Rodman's case is different because he won so many championships on multiple championship teams. Um, and, you know, he was a better defender, like Rodman's one of the greatest defenders of all time. But Marion was also that guy that 
you know, didn't get a lot of shine. He didn't need to have the ball in his hands and take 20 shots a game to be good. He played his role. He flew under the radar a lot of the time. Um, the biggest difference is obviously Marion was a better scorer, better perimeter shooter, Rodman, better defender, and just uh, a much crazier personality off the court. <laughs> but, um, those are those are a couple of comparisons that came to mind. But again, I, I really did struggle with this one because Marion's Hall of Fame case is so unique compared to a lot of other guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so who I actually went back to and what led me here originally was just how, uh, how do I put, terrible his jump shot was. <laughs> it was uh, Jamal Wilkes who okay. played in the 70s and early 80s for the uh, Warriors and the Lakers. Um, he was like the, the third banana on those uh, Lakers teams before James Worthy came along. So he won two championships with uh, Kareem and Magic early in Magic's career in the early 80s, and he was an undersized kind of small forward, power forward guy. He was only 6'6", so an inch shorter than Marion, um, but put up like 18 and 6 over his career, so he wasn't quite the rebounder, but he had a little higher scoring average than Marion did. I think Marion was 15 and 9 over his career. He was on two all uh, NBA defensive second teams. He could really guard kind of one through five. And again, this is Jamal Wilkes is not someone – anyone's really bringing up in general conversation around you know the all-time greats but he was you know really good in his role he was excellent to that Lakers team and again Magic and Kareem get all the fanfare but Jamal Wilkes was that third guy that that team need to kind of get them over the hump beating um, some of those teams in the early 80s and again he had one of the ugliest jump shots I've ever seen it's right up there with Marion so I think he fits with that kind of undersized almost underappreciated um, players that have played in the NBA. And it took him a long time to get into the Hall of Fame. He, he retired in 86, and he didn't get into the Hall of Fame until 2012. So he almost waited 26 years. And again, I think it's just because when you think of those early Lakers teams, Jamal Wilkes is not really coming up on your radar unless you're a diehard you know, Lakers fan or NBA fan. Um, he was kind of more behind the scenes, but he was doing all those little things that you know, maybe don't even show up in the box score. And I think, again, I think that's what's really similar to him and Marion um, in that regard. No, that makes sense. I I, I feel like, you know, Marion is one of those names that, like, you recognize that name, similar to Jamal Wilkes, but unless you're an NBA savant, you couldn't really speak to the actual impact that he had or what kind of player he really was. Um I think Marion has an advantage in that comparison just because he's played more recently and on, um, you know, more memorable teams for <laughs> recent NBA fans. But um, no, that's, that's a good one too. Um, I'm very, I don't know. I, I just, I, I feel I'm very, I hope that he doesn't have to wait, you know, like 26 years for Marion to get into the hall of fame, but that, that could be a very apt comparison in a couple of years or decades from now if he's still not in just because he's one of those guys that should probably be in, especially with some of the guys they've already let in, but might have to wait his fair share of, of years to go by before it actually happens. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And honestly, yeah, when I looked at their careers, there's a lot more similarity, similarities than I had I'd even thought. Um, and then just for those listening, you know, if you've never seen, I'm sure a lot of you haven't, 
If you've never seen Jamal Wilkes's uh, jump shot, go YouTube that really quick. It looks like he's trying to like scratch his back and then he chucks the ball up. I, I don't understand how it went in. It, it is wild. It is, it is, if Marion's is the worst of all time, this is like 1B. This is right behind him. All right. So before we go to court, let's do our last segment, the really short new one. Let's go to Holy Stat. Holy Snikes. All right. For Holy Stat today, we're going back to February 22nd, 2006. So that's during um, that Marion run we keep talking about. Uh, Suns were playing the Sultics. Marion drops 44 points, 15 boards, four steals, and has three blocks. So I felt like this is what we're t- you're talking about, the versatility of Marion, how he fills the box score. This is the game that describes that. He had four steals, three blocks. You know, 44 points, 15 boards. That's nothing to laugh about. He was super efficient to 15 for 22 from the field, four for seven from three, and 10 from 10 from the line. And not only did he put up these monster numbers, but he was guarding Paul Pierce a majority of the game and held Paul Pierce to an 8-for-28 game. And anytime you have Paul Pierce shooting 8-for-28, it's a good day. Um, and the Suns won that game 103-94. So, you know, this is not the craziest stat line. I think it really shows, again, the versatility of, of Mary and how he could do it all. Um, I, I was thinking, you know, 44 points, 15 boards. How many people have done that in history? I'm sure there's a lot of centers that have done that. I feel like Shaq was doing that a lot when he was in the Lakers. But I was thinking, you know, someone a little more undersized like Marion, how many people have done that? And I don't have an exact number, but someone I thought of is Charles Barkley. You know, Charles was like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and he's a guy that could go get boards. He played for the Suns. So I looked up how many times he had a 44.15 board game. Of course, he had a few of them. He had four, including once in the playoffs. And I need to, I need to kind of go on a Charles Barkley thing here for a sec. Cause this game in the playoffs was no, just 44, 15. It was a 44, 24 game. So 44 points, 24 boards in a game seven of the 93 playoffs against the Seattle supersonics and Sean camp. And that's the game that sent Phoenix to the finals against the bulls in 93. So a little higher stakes in the February game for Marion, but again, we're talking about Charles Barkley, one of the probably 20 best players of all time. And then I, while we're here with Barkley, because I think people forget God, just how goddamn good Barkley was. We, we see him on TNT now, and it, honestly, if, you, if you're too young to have seen him play, please go just look up a YouTube clip for seven minutes, watch this guy. It's, it's pretty astonishing what he's able to do at his size. Anyway, he just missed having another 44-15 game. Um, in another playoff round, he dropped 56 points and had 14 boards. So he's one board off from having his fifth 44-15 game at least. Um, so that's holy stat. Marion's 44.15 board, four steal, three block game against Paul Pierce in the Celtics back in 2006. All right, now it's time to go to court. Your Honor, I object. You would. Bastard. Hey, quiet. Overruled. So, so Jared... Uh, Gerald, right here, we, we really kind of just for case four and case against, I try to make two key points for each. And I think we keep hitting um, on the one point for case four, why he should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, but I think we should just maybe hit it a couple more times. It's, it's the versatility of, of Marion and, and how he was kind of ahead of his time. Um, he was 
he was kind of a positionless player before that became a thing. He was a small ball, kind of big before that was a thing. Um, you know, he could guard one through five. He rebounded like a center among centers, even though he's only six foot seven. And I had a couple of the stats you had brought up um, just before um, the one where it was, what was it? Se- um, the 17,000 points where it was just Olajuwon, Garnett, and Malone. I, yeah. I had an, I had another one that kind of, again, puts in – and we haven't talked about this too much, but his ability to shoot three-pointers. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, he's one of only two players in NBA history with at least se- um, 17,000 points, 10,000 rebounds, 1,000 blocks, and 500 three-pointers. And the other one's Dirk Nowinski. Okay. So, again, again, like these are these – and, again, I, sometimes I hate those because they're a little cherry-picked. But at the same time, when you see the company they keep, um, it, it's it's hard to neglect that. I mean, there's it's just showing how rare company he holds with some of these categories and his ability to kind of fill up a box score. I mean, if I had to really give an elevator speech for why he should be in the Hall of Fame, he was just a, a box score stuffer. If you looked at a box score, he he's filling out everything except, I would say, assists. His assist numbers were never there. I never really thought of him as a playmaker, but then again, he had Nash on his team. So what's he supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. And, and I do agree with you. Cause like, if you look at the the stat that I had brought up earlier with the points, rebound steals and blocks barriers, you look at his career numbers compared to those other three guys. And he's significantly behind the other three in most of those categories. Yeah. But so they, they can be cherry picked, but like you're saying, like, you can't ignore a guy who put up that many points, rebounds, steals, and blocks, or, you know, that many points, rebounds, blocks, and three-pointers. Like, his versatility is one of his greatest strengths as far as his Hall of Fame candidacy and just the way that he was an all-around complete player who contributed to winning. And that's the whole point of the Hall of Fame. You know, yep. we get a little bit too hung up on – well, how many championships did he win? Or how many, you know, all NBA selections, how many all-star selections? Those things are all important, obviously. And the more you have of those, the better. But Marion was the epitome of the guy who deserved some of those accolades and would have gotten them if he wasn't so overlooked because of that stigma about the Suns defense. Like he should, like Alonzo Mourning got in a few years back uh, around the time when I had written about Marion's Hall of Fame case. And I kind of argued like Morning was, he had all these defensive accolades, you know, a couple of defensive player of the year awards, multiple defensive team selections, um, you know, more all-star appearances. It is just kind of crazy that, you know, Morning got into the all-star game like three more times than Marion, I think, mm-hmm. and had way more defensive hardware to his resume. Not that he wasn't a good player or a good defender but Marion was in that upper tier of defenders and he has like none of the recognition for it and I think that hurts his hall of fame case when in actuality the people that watched him play night in and night out knew that he deserved some of those things and he never really got them I mean there's there's a reason he's the sun's all-time leader in win shares and in uh and in VORP like he was and that's saying something for a franchise that you know, has gotten a bad rep recently, but used to be just before this horrible decade began, they were like the fourth winningest all-time franchise in NBA history. So they, 
we're used to winning year, year in and year out. And this was a guy that contributed to that and had the resume to back it up based on where he stands among Suns all-time leaders. So it, it's, uh, it's kind of unfortunate that he never got some of those awards or achievements to recognize those things. Um, but when you look at just the body of work, it's, it's very similar to a lot of guys who have gotten into the Hall of Fame. And yeah, and just to kind of um, go back over the stats one more time for the defensive stats, because again, he didn't get the all defensive teams, but for his career, he averaged 1.5 steals, 1.1 blocks. In 2006, he had two steals and 1.7 blocks per game. So he was almost two and two there. Again, 1700 career, over 1,700 career steals, over 1,200 career blocks. And he's one of only 25 people in NBA history to have over 1,000 steals and 1,000 blocks. So again, he never got the hardware, which I agree hurts him, but he was putting up the numbers consistently over his entire career. Now, Gerald, you just brought up something that I want to go back to, and this is another main point I have here, but it's around the wind shares you just brought up. I, I believe you said, did you say he was the all-time Suns leader in wind shares? Is that correct? Yeah. So, so for his career... In the NBA history, he's 42nd all-time in win shares. Oh, wow. Everyone ahead of him, everyone ahead of him is a Hall of Famer or is like a, a lock Hall of Famer, like a, like a LeBron, you know? It's not debatable. So everyone in front of him is a Hall of Famer. So if he were not to get in, he would be the line. And there's key players behind him, like, you know, big names, like Dwayne Wade's behind him on that list. Kevin McHale's behind him on that list. He has 125 career win shares. I, I want to ask you, because, like, for instance, in baseball, war, wins above replacement, like, they live and die by that stat. Win yeah. shares in the NBA, that's not something that, you know, if I'm talking with my buddies or I'm talking to other people in the industry, that we're, we're bringing up much for basketball. Mm -hmm. What importance do you, because you brought, you know, he, he contributes to the overall team winning, the Suns winning. That's what's important. How much stock do you take in win shares when evaluating players' careers? I, I take some stock in it for sure. And, and it's a tricky thing because there's this stigma about advanced statistics or that dreaded word analytics among yep. the NBA community. And I'm not sure why, because analytics is just a fancy word for stats that haven't been explained properly or stats that people haven't taken the time to figure out what they actually mean. You know, these aren't complicated uh, things. You know, some of the formulas for calculating these things are, but they're not complicated to figure out what they are. And in baseball, baseball's community is more like statistically driven. It's more open to these kind of advanced stats like just all, you know, like whip and ERA and just all of these different stats that you can look at. The NBA is just not like that because for years it's been about the eye test. Like, you know, Allen Iverson is a lot of people's favorite players of all time. And you look back at his numbers now and they weren't that great from an efficiency standpoint, but nobody wants to hear that because it's the thrill of watching some of these players play. Um, so I, I feel like, I feel like I put some stock in win shares, but I don't, it's definitely not something I'm going to bring up in a bar or talking with my friends because they're going to be like, what, what is a win share? Like what you can tell, you can guess what it's based on just based on the name, but that is an interesting stat that you brought up that 
you know, the 41 guys ahead of him or 42 are all like Hall of Famers or Hall of Fame locks because that is pretty, it's a good testament to the kind of player that he was and kind of the crux of this whole issue is that Sean Marion contributed to winning, but was just overlooked a lot of the time for his accomplishments. Yeah. And, and the win share thing took me surprised as well. I didn't think he'd be, any, I mean, he's a, if you only based your criteria off win shares, he's a top 50 player of all time. Now he's definitely not a top 50 player of all time, but at the same time, and again, you, you talk about it. I, I loved how you just kind of phrased, you know, metrics and how we look at them. You know, the formula can be confusing. You might not understand it, but when you look at the names, like there's no outliers, there's no random people in the top 100. They're all players you know. So it has to mean something. The formula has to get you somewhere. So even if you don't fully understand it, you at least know, you know, Sean Marion, he's in the ballpark of some of the greatest players of all time. And the statistics saying he's better than a lot of players that you consider all-time great. So um, when it comes to his candidacy and what I'd be leading with, that is definitely um, something I would. And again, as time goes on, I mean, baseball took a while for some of those advanced metrics to really take hold in the, the voting and, they went back and voted people in that they had ignored in the past once kind of the even basic things like on-base percentage came into more to light and how important that was. War came into light more, how important that was. It'll be curious down the road because um, there is some kind of advanced metrics darlings that um, weren't elected, but now reviewing um, kind of some of these advanced warp things like that, their candidacy looks a lot better. We'll be interested if there's, you know, down the line, something like what happened in baseball, where 20, 30 years from now, they start inducting people that, you know, back in the day didn't have the gaudy points, rebound stats that others did. But overall, um, they were a better basketball player than, than some of the players that are already in. So it'll be interesting if that happens down the line. Um, right now, I don't think wind shares holds, again, much clout, um, but, but maybe it will. Um, maybe it's already getting there. Yeah, and it's it's good that you brought up, like, you don't want to begin any argument for or against a player's career by bringing up, like, wind shares or sure. something like that, because then they're, they're just going to shut down the conversation right away. They're like, okay, this is going to be a numbers-based conversation or an analytics-based conversation. Um, and people, it's like, it's like people's aversion to science now. It's like, just because <laughs> you can't explain it and don't understand it firsthand doesn't mean it holds no merit. Um, you just kind of got to do your research, but, um, yeah, I, I, that is definitely, it's, it's one of those things where it shouldn't be the first or primary argument, but it's definitely a good example of everything we've been talking about as far as his impact was, you know, flew under the radar, but it was significant for a number of years and it stacks up with just that body of work stacks up with a lot of these guys who have already gotten in or are sure to get in in the years to come. All right. So um, I'm going to, going to go across the aisle now and do case against. So um, here is where I try to kind of be as picky as possible and really nitpick the candidate. Um, and it can come off sometimes like I, I hate whoever I'm talking about, which I try to explain every time is not the case. You just, you got to look for holes and you can't let everybody in. So, right. so, so Gerald, to kind of start here, I want to, I want to ask you a question because um, I'm kind of workshopping a, a theory here on, on, or even a methodology of, of what should be a hall of famer, what shouldn't. So 
I'm going to name a list of players for you right now. And while I'm naming them, just keep in mind um, kind of the goal here is I, I want to know if you think Sean Marion's better than any of these players. Okay. So here we go. Um, and I hope number one, you're – okay, just – here we go. <laughs> okay. LeBron James, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan, Vince Carter, Carmelo Anthony, Dirk Nowinski, Paul Gasol, Chris Weber, Chris Bosh, Amari Studmeyer. Do you think Marion was better than any of those players? That's a tough one because the definition of better can mean so many things. But I, uh, I mean, I, I think you could make an argument against some of those guys. Like, I think you could make an argument, and this might be crazy to some Suns fans, but I think you could make an argument for him versus Amari Stoudemire. Maybe not better, but in terms of his importance to those Suns teams and his role on those Suns teams. Um, that's tough. It, it's so, it, that's the thing about these arguments is like the team context is everything. It like, is. Individually, I think, like for example, individually, I think Sean Marion might have been a better player than Chris Bosch or. You could also make the case the opposite way that Sean Marion was as good as he was because of the situation that he was in for his prime with Nash. Um, but no, I mean, by and large, I probably wouldn't in terms of like hall of fame rankings or just all time career rankings. I probably wouldn't put him over many of those guys. No. And I, and I, and I wouldn't either. I, I kind of made this list and I had him, I was thinking like in the 2000s, which is when he was kind of in his prime, I was trying to think about, you know, who were the best forwards? So small forward, power forward, because he fluctuated during mm -hmm. that time. And this is the list. And on that list, Marion kind of came up number 12. Um, you know, he was ahead of guys like Jermaine O'Neal, Rashid Wallace, Elton Brandamy, um, Kevin Durant, you know, he only played a couple of years, so I didn't count him in that ranking. But mm -hmm. I had him number 12 for the decade. Okay. And my kind of methodology I'm trying, I'm trying trying to form something here I, I, in my head I'm like you know if you're not a top 10 player at your position so just general forward for a decade I don't know if you should be in the hall of fame so like each decade 10 guards 10 forwards five centers because you don't get 10 centers that's not fair but I think each decade maybe there's 25 hall of fame players and of course, there's going to be outliers like, you know, they might not be a top 10 player, but they won three championships and they had a, you know, a huge role on those teams. So they get in. But for the majority of the time, I feel like if you're a top 10 player during the decade, you should have a great shot at the Hall of Fame. If you're on the outskirts of that, that's where it gets a little tricky. And again, I have Marion at 12 here. I think you could argue with Amari. I believe that. I think you could argue with Chris Bosh. Mm -hmm. Um but I, I, the others, I think, are well above him. So he's, like, right outside the top 10, which I don't think means he shouldn't be, you know, in the Hall of Fame. I just think that's where it's getting a little iffy. If you're not a top 10 player at your position during the decade, maybe you shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. And I don't know. You tell me. Is that, is that dumb for thinking sort of like that, or is that, is that fair? No, I don't think that's dumb at all. I think it's a good 
I mean, all of these these kind of numbers and benchmarks that we're throwing out there are, are sort of arbitrary. There is no like set formula for what a Hall of Fame player is because it factors in basketball at so many different levels. It factors in team success versus individual achievements. Um, it factors in a lot of different things. So there is no perfect formula. I, th I think you're pretty close to the money though. Like if you're not a top 10 player at your position for the decade during which your prime was, that'll make it hard for you to get into the Hall of Fame. I do think with all those players that you mentioned, I mean, pretty much all of them are Hall of Famers or Hall of Fame caliber though, which kind of speaks to me that, you know, if he's just on the cusp of that line, and if you could arguably make a case against some of those guys that are ahead of him or just right next to him, again, that kind of <laughs> continues to speak to what we're talking about with this guy. Like, he is right on the line of Hall of Fame consideration. It may take him a while to get in. I think he'll eventually get in. It's kind of annoying to me. The Suns haven't put him in their, like, Suns ring of honor. I honestly think that would help with public perception just – a quick wave of uh, nostalgia and remembering, oh yeah, Sean Marion was actually really, really good, um, would help with that kind of public mindset. But um, no, I, I don't think that's that's too unreasonable. It's just, uh, I mean, for example, like if Chris Bosh, if LeBron James had never gone to Miami, how, do we view Chris Bosh's Hall of Fame candidacy differently because I think we do like what if he had just what if it had just been him and D Wade in Miami and they're you know a good playoff team but had never broken through and won another title what if they don't go to four straight finals um, what if he had never been praised as this guy that like took that third role you know upped his defense became a perimeter shooter did the things that Miami needed him to do to win titles what if he'd never had any of that recognition and instead was like Marion on a team that was very good, very beloved, but never won a championship? Like, is he the Sean Marion then in this situation? Because it's, it's very contingent on team accomplishments, which is, you know, something that is hard to factor in because <laughs> sometimes an organization could be what holds a guy's call of fame case back the most. Like, you know, an owner trading first round picks for cash for like three or four <laughs> years during Steve Nash's prime. That could probably hurt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like these are all things that I think about and you can't deal in hypotheticals the whole time, obviously. You got to go with what actually happened. But um, I, I think you could make a case like if Marion's prime had been in that Chris Bosch role, would the Heat have been as good? Probably. Would they have been better? I don't know, but they might have been. So that's, it's a hard thing to do. No, I, God, I cannot agree more. And, and to be honest, I think if Chris Bosch is not on those heat teams, if he doesn't win those championships, I don't, I think he is a very tough hall of fame case with how it is today. Mm -hmm. I think he, he gets in, he was, a th he was the third banana on that uh, two championship teams. I think that gets you in, mm -hmm. but, but without that, I mean, it's just a guy I think that puts up numbers. Um, that, that's what he was on Toronto before he put up good numbers, but um, his team was never going anywhere. And I, I think he'd be pretty forgotten to be honest. He, he was in a very good situation. Again, unfortunately that sometimes for Kansas, that everything kind of has to fall into place. And I think if you replace him and Sean Marion at that time, if Sean Marion was at his peak, because by that point, 
he he was getting a little on the older side when they were winning those championships, but kind of a peak Sean Marion next to Wade and LeBron. I mean, they're they're winning those championships. If not, they're in a better situation because Marion's a superior defender to Bosch. Yeah, and, and that's I think another name you mentioned was Paul Pierce. Like if if Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen don't join him in Boston, like yes, he's still the Celtics all time scoring leader and whatnot, but you know, is he, was he just a guy that put up numbers on a couple of good playoff teams, but never broke through? Like those are Sean Marion had very good teams in Phoenix. They should have won a title that much is very clear. It's disappointing that they didn't. Um, But, you know, bad or just bad organizations slightly held that team back, bad injury luck, bad suspensions that we don't want to talk about against the Spurs. Like, those are all things that backfired against Phoenix come playoff time and held them back from that sort of breakthrough that, that Paul Pierce got when Kevin Garnett joined or that, um, you know, Chris Bosh got when he teamed up with LeBron and D Wade in Miami. So it's uh, you take away some of those championships. And that's one thing that we need to do more often is like, yes, championships should absolutely be part of, bolstering a player's case but they shouldn't be the end-all be-all like if a guy never wins a championship and Marion did win one with yes he did I can't believe we it took us this long to bring that up but he did win a championship and it wasn't like he was just like an end of the bench guy or like a fifth or sixth man like you know like when Gary Payton was when he won his with the heat like Marion was a starter and active contributor and played great defense on LeBron James in that final series Mm -hmm. Um, he was kind of one of their unsung heroes that year um, so it's not like he was just kind of riding somebody else's coattails to his one championship. So those are all things that we need to take into consideration and not get so wrapped up in, well, did he lead his team to a championship? How many? Like, was he an all-time great scorer? It doesn't have to be either or. There are a lot of guys that fall in between, and I'm not advocating for the Hall of Fame to just let all of these good players that I like in, but like, <laughs> I feel like we've made a lot of cases for – why he should be in and even the ones against him are you know they're, they're kind of obvious things that you could point to other evidence to kind of refute no i i agree and, and before we kind of move on here i just gotta let everyone know that list i read um that was not in the order of how great they were i do not think paul pierce was the second best forward in the 2000s i need to make that clear because I kind of despise Paul Pierce, so I, I can't have anyone thinking that. I just want to be clear there. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's fair. I, I feel like a lot of people that hear him talk <laughs> and jump on ESPN now despise Paul Pierce because he's just <laughs> saying things. <laughs> All right, so a few more things on the case against before we kind of go to the final verdict here. Just, you know, his career numbers, um, you know, 17,700 career points. You know, I, I always look – I you definitely don't have to hit 20,000 career points to, to get in the hall of fame, but 17,700, uh, it's 84th all time. That's nothing special. It's not bad. It's not good. Um, again, he did get over 10,000 rebounds. That, that was 43rd all time. So it's, again, it's a good number, but still, um, not top 40 assist numbers. Again, we're super low 2,200, um, I don't think he was expected to play make, especially on those Suns teams. So I don't take too much stock there. But, you know, when you look at his career averages, it was 15 points per game, nine boards. Again, nothing wrong with that. It just, it doesn't blow you out of the water 
Mm-hmm. Um, but there are Hall of Famers with similar kind of career averages. Uh, but just want to point that out. And then again, you mentioned this, but for as great as Sean Marion was, he, his trophy case is super bare. Mm-hmm. Um, and the awards he got super bare, you know, four all-star games. That's on the lower end of, of anyone being considered. He was only a top 10 MVP candidate once. Um, and he made just two All-NBA third teams um, in his career, which, again, is pretty low when you're looking against other people um, that, you know, we consider for the Hall of Fame. And then he was a great defensive player. He put up those numbers, but those no-all no defensive teams, that, that is going to hurt him, I think, in his candidacy to not even see one of those. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of voters, when they're looking at, you know, who was a great defender in this class, who was a two-way player, they, they, they kind of look to that, especially if maybe they didn't see this person play that much. They don't want to do the homework in not having uh, even one all defensive team on the, even a second team on your kind of resume does hurt. Mm-hmm. And then Gerald, this is kind of just for fun. And I don't take this that seriously, but he was on that. <laughs> he was on the 2004 bronze medal team in Athens. Oh, yeah. Um, that's just a, <laughs> That's a bad memory. That, that, that's a bad memory. You don't want to be on that team. And uh, for fun, Gerald, just I did not prep you for this. If I gave you four four chances here, could you name two other players on that 2004 Athens team? Because it's a it's a it's a it's an all star team here. I don't even think I could. I'll be 100 <laughs> percent honest. I've I've I think I like the general populace have tried to blot that team's memory from my memory banks. Uh, just a couple names I want to throw out. I'm not going to read the whole list. Emeka Okafor was on that team. Oh, goody. Uh, Richard Jefferson was on that team. And then as a Chicago Bulls fan, Carlos Boozer was on that team. Oh, wow. Um, and Stefan Marbury. So, oh, God. So maybe we're lucky we got the bronze. I don't know. Yeah, that's honestly, I'm surprised <laughs> that well. <laughs> All right. Um, so I'm going to kind of wrap up court there. Uh, go to the final verdict. So this is, again, where we kind of just decide whether or not, one, you think Sean Marion should be in the Hall of Fame, but two, do you think he'll ever get in? So I kind of want to pose that question to you, Gerald. Do you think Sean Marion is a Hall of Famer? And then do you actually think he will get into the Hall of Fame? I think he is a Hall of Famer. I I don't know if he'll get into the Hall of Fame, but if he does, it's going to take – like we were talking about with Jamal Wilkes with that comparison, it's going to take 15 to 20 plus years. And it's kind of unfortunate, but I, I feel like that would probably be, he'll, he'll be one of those selections where it's like, wow, Sean Marion didn't get into the hall, isn't in the hall of fame yet. Like he should be in the hall of fame. Um, or honestly, I could also see a scenario where that just never happens because he was, on one championship team. And, you know, when you think of the 2011 Dallas Mavericks, you don't think of Sean Marion, like you think of Dirk, you think of Jason Terry, you think of Jason Kidd before you think of Sean Marion, um, which will kind of hurt him. He might be one of those guys that just kind of gets lost in the shuffle of time. You know, the more years that go by, just kind of forget about him. So I, I think he eventually gets in, but I could easily see it where he just, gets lost in that shuffle. No, I, I'm so I'm kind of I kind of agree with you on one point, disagree on the other. So first, 
Do I think Sean Marion should be in the Hall of Fame? I actually do not think he should be in. Um, and and, and kind of let me tell you why. It, it's because he did win a championship with the Mavs. I think he was like the fourth or fifth best player in that team if you really look at the roster. Mm-hmm. But what I started to think about is when I think of those great Suns teams, um, the two, you know, they made back-to-back Western Conference Finals. He was, I know Amari was hurt that one year, but on that team with, with Nash and Amari, I, I considered him the third best player. And I think you, you've made a good argument that, you know, him and Amari, maybe he was better than Amari, but I always think of it as he's the third best player. Mm-hmm. And that, those Suns teams, you know, never won a championship and they never made it to the finals. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if you're going to be in the Hall of Fame, it's, it's perfectly fine to be the third best player on the team. I mean, you look at some of the Hall of Famers, like James Worthy, he was you know, the third, third guy on those Lakers teams. Chris Bosh, third guy on those Heat teams. I think he's going to make the Hall of Fame. Robert Parrish, third guy on those Boston teams in the 80s. Those guys were all the third guys, but they were on championship teams. And I think that's why they're in the Hall of Fame, because they won those championships. Hmm. If I think of like other great teams in NBA history that didn't, get, didn't win a championship or maybe didn't even get to the finals, teams like the 2002 Sacramento Kings, you know, they, they took the Lakers to game seven in the Western Conference finals. They, they were led by Weber and Peja Strakovic. And their third best player was like Mike Bibby. You know, I don't think of Mike Bibby as a Hall of Famer. Now, Sean Marion's much better than Mike Bibby, but he was the third guy in that team. Or Buell mm-hmm. Dang on the Bulls of the 2010s with Rose and Noah. Third best player, they never won a championship. I don't think it was a Hall of Famer. Or even Jeff Hornacek, third best player on those jazz teams in the 90s that made the finals but didn't win it. Like, definitely not a Hall of Famer. Just if you're going to be the third player – on a team and expect or, or want to get in the Hall of Fame, I, I, I think you have to win a championship or at least be in the finals. And those Suns teams, as great as they were and how memorable they were, they just never made it there. And, and that along with the fact that, you know, if, if, you don't, if you don't win those, you know, if you're not the third best player in a finals team that wins, you know, what are, what's the rest of your, you know, stats look like, what your awards look like? I just don't know if the career numbers are good enough. I mean, they're versatile. They're across the board. But again, 17,700 points. There's a lot of players with more points that aren't in the Hall of Fame. And then, you know, the four All-Star games, the two All-NBA teams, the new All-Defensive teams, he just wasn't loved by the media. And again, I, I think we both agree he probably should have more, a, a, a more expansive trophy case, but he just doesn't. And I think – that hurts him when I think of him being in the Hall of Fame, and I don't think he should get in. But in the same token, will he get into the Hall of Fame? <laughs> I think he will. <laughs> I think he will, but it's like what you said. I think it's going to be in like 20 years. I think they're going to be looking back and be like, Sean Mary on those Suns teams. You know, I think Amari's going to get in. I think they'll look back at some point. Maybe he gets, re- you know, his number retired by the Suns. He gets in the Suns, you know, ring of uh, – is it the ring of honor or what's the Suns yeah, kind of – the ring of honor. I think if all of that happens, I think his case gets brought back up, kind of like a Jamal Wilkes. And, and uh, exactly who I compared to him earlier, I think he gets brought up maybe in 20, in 20 years, advanced metrics. We're looking at win shares like, like we do at baseball. Everyone, that's what we bring up when we talk about players. And, mm. and, and I think he gets in. So I think he does eventually get in. But I do think he's going to have to wait quite a bit. 
Um, but but I, I, I do see him in my lifetime, in our lifetimes, getting to the Hall of Fame. So, Yeah, no, and that's you, – you bring up a lot of valid points as far as, like, just the, that tagline of being the third best player on teams that were fun and should have won a title but never won a title is not flattering, especially when you don't have – you know, all NBA selections to your name outside of two, you know, third teamers or any like defensive selections. That's pretty, it's pretty damning as far as his case goes. And it's the reason why if he does get in, he's going to have to wait as long as he will. Um, my, re- my rebuttal to that would only be that a lot of the teams that you mentioned weren't necessarily as good as the Suns were for as long as they were. And a lot of the third guys that were brought up were not as good as Marion on either end of the court. So it's, again, that's why this is such a fascinating topic because there are so few cases like this among players who haven't gotten in and among players who have. Like, (laughs) he's a very bizarre candidate because when you look at his candidacy, it has to revolve around you know, being underrated, being a guy whose body of work matches up to other Hall of Famers. But it's never, like, he never blew anyone away with a specific, with a lot of specific games or even specific seasons. You know, it's the reason he didn't, he doesn't have a lot of these accolades. It's the reason, you know, some people are surprised to hear when I say that I think he was more important to those Suns teams than Amari was. Like, Amari was an amazing athlete. He was an underrated player as far as doing more than just, you know, catching lobs from Steve Nash or bounce passes from Steve Nash. But Steve Nash made his life a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Marion made everyone's life on the Suns a lot easier just with what he did. And, and that's kind of, that's one of the hard things about this discussion, especially if he only won, you know, one championship as the fourth or fifth guy on a different team than that team that he was with in his prime. But I I feel like there should be a space for that specific role player. If you want to dumb it down and call him a role player, that specific guy, that glue guy that does a little bit of everything that thrives in that role. And then, never gets to that peak point of being a star player in his own right or being recognized as part of a championship team just because there are so many guys like that in NBA history, but none to that type of level that he reached. Um, so, And again, it's one of those things where he's right on the line and you can make a strong case against him or for him. Um it's ultimately going to come down to a long wait for him. No, I, I, those are all valid points. And, and definitely like when it comes to those third guys I was talking about, yeah, he was way better than all of those. And if you're, and, and I completely agree with the fact that he's like a glue guy, but he's like the all time glue guy, because right. I mean, when you think of glue guys, um, you almost think of like, six guy like six men off the bench or or just that guy who's doing a little bit of everything he did a little bit of everything but like at an all-star level um so all-time glue guy like an like if i'm thinking of like an x factor it's sean marion um all good points it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next several years you know he was a nominee this this last time around in 2020 but there's 50 nominees so um that doesn't (laughs) 
that doesn't mean anything, but at the same time, he's on the Hall of Fame's radar. Um, and one last thing I'll say, because I do think he will eventually get in, and this is kind of why, again, the win shares, not a big deal yet, but at the same time, criteria to be on the list for the Hall of Fame to even be voted in is, is a threshold of 50 win shares. So that's actually how they cut off, like, who's even allowed to be voted in mm. by anyone. It's by that 50 win share. So they take, I mean, they're at least looking at win shares as something good enough to be a threshold for voting. So right. I'm starting to think it's, it's becoming more and more. And again, down the road, advanced metrics, I think he'll probably get in. But um, that's all the time we have for today. Um, Gerald, before we go, anything you want to plug or anything you, um, anything coming up on your end? I know your season's over, but. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I'm still right in a way covering the league at large over at uh, the step back on fansided.com. Um, and then I actually started my a new podcast with um, three other guys from NBA Twitter that uh, anyone listening might recognize Shane Young, Sean Devaney, and uh, Nick Crane. Uh, it's called The Putback Pod. We've got like seven or eight episodes up now. Um, so, brand new podcast, but. Uh, we're enjoying it so far, so you can check that out as well. And then uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Gerald Borgay. Awesome. Well, Gerald, I, I really appreciate you joining. Make sure you check out Gerald. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, check out his podcast and his writing as well. Um, Gerald, this was fun. Um, yeah. appreciate, appreciate your time. Yeah, no, this was a great discussion, and I appreciate you having me on. So, again, just to recap, it was a no for me. Sean Marion shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Honestly, he is a he's like the closest thing to the Hall of Fame. Like it really should be maybe the Sean Marion line. Like if you're better than Sean Marion, you're in the Hall of Fame. He's right there. But he's a no for me to get in. However, as I just said, I think he eventually 20, 30 years down the line might get in. And from Gerald, it was a he should get in and he will eventually get in. We were going a lot back and forth there. Just want to make sure that was clear. So again, thank you, Gerald, for joining. Thank you all for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review if you can on Apple Podcasts. The more reviews we get, the better. Um, thank you for joining, and we will talk to you next week.